0: You have an amazing concept on your hands mm-hmm. and you have to make this leap from small scale to large scale yeah. basically overnight. How, how did you give your investors the confidence to go ahead and front that kind of capital to, to get a, a factory and ramp up at that level?
1: Yeah, so I I don't think anyone really did believe that we could do it Um, in.
0: Well, your investors must have believed,
2: right? Um... Every business is unique. But the ups and downs we experience as we launch and run our businesses are pretty similar. We're Harmon Brothers, the team behind Pooping Unicorns and other weird but successful video ads you've probably seen. We help businesses grow through unforgettable video marketing, and we're no stranger to tricky situations. In fact, we embrace them. The goal of this podcast is to show how your crappy circumstances could be the golden opportunity that leads to your next success. You're listening to Poop to Gold. Welcome back to
0: Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Today I have a very special guest with me. We're doing this podcast in the flesh. We haven't had a lot of these in the last year, so we're excited that we can uh, sit across the table from each other. This is Catherine Hometh. Welcome to the show, Catherine.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Like you said, I am so excited to be somewhere in person. <laughs>
0: it's amazing, right? <laughs> So, Catherine is the founder and CEO of Sheertex, which, in my opinion, is a freaking awesome invention. <laughs> it solves a very real problem, particularly for my wife. And I've heard my wife complain about this problem at least 100 times. And, and so, having her, her on the show is a real privilege. And I'm so excited for all the listeners to get to hear your story and learn about you and about Sheer text. So let's start with Sheer Text. What yeah. is it?
1: So Sheertex is the world's strongest pair of sheer tights. So think pantyhose that currently last you one or two wears, you put them on in the morning and you're pretty sure they're not gonna make it to the end of the day or maybe even out the house. What we've taken is the type of fibers used in bulletproof vests and climbing equipment, miniaturize those fibers to give you a pair of tights that is so insanely strong, you could hand it to your strongest friend and say, go crazy, try to rip this. And I can pretty much guarantee that they're not going to be able to get their foot through it, their thumb through it, their hand through it. And we're taking what is traditionally this incredibly disposable category of product and turning it into something that is long-lasting, durable, and quite frankly, less of a pain in the ass.
0: (laughs) Right? So just thinking about my wife's experience, I can't count how many times that she's gotten dressed and we're headed out the door and like we haven't even made it to the car yet. And whether it's like you know, snags on on the edge of the couch, her wedding ring, one of the kids, you know, puts a shoe across it. It's usually like within 30 minutes of her putting on nylons, they're ruined. And she's always just like, why do I even bother? So in the case of Sheertex, like, the wedding rings, snagging it, not a thing.
1: Yeah, so we like to say basically it is gonna perform 10 to maybe even 100 times better than any other pair of hosiery so the things that would normally just shatter other hosiery will either leave your product unscathed or like you can actually are self-healing so you can just like pull out the little like anything if that goes wrong if there's a little whatever. snag you can like pull it out most of the time it just it lets you go through your day knowing that these tights will keep up with you knowing that like you don't need to be afraid of all of those little things that you used to be afraid of wearing regular tights. You'll get dozens of wears out of this thing that normally probably only get one or two.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've talked about like it's strong as I'll get out, like yeah. 10 to 100 times stronger. Yeah. What about comfort?
1: Yeah, so this was uh, just like as an entrepreneur, uh, something I had to actually learn that just being great on one dimension is not enough. And I think like in the early days, a lot of our first prototypes were just strong, Mm -hmm. but did they have a super comfortable waistband, did they fit really well, were they soft, like did they hit every other thing that people had either, you know, hated about the product category or come to expect about the product category, and the answer was no at the time, and we really, after we built the original technology, realized we had to be more than just a technology, we also had to be this fashion brand, Mm -hmm. we had to deliver on comfort, we had to deliver on style, and really create what we refer to as like the whole product. It's not just about a single feature, it's about building something that checks all the boxes for our customers. So yes, it's soft, it's comfortable, it has a waistband that won't roll down, uh, you know, it's beautiful. All of these different things have had to really be part of being able to, you know, create this value prop for the customer.
0: So does it go toe-to-toe with the best of the best in terms of fashion and comfort?
1: Well, it's, I think it's above and beyond, right? Like we are a group of incredibly obsessive people and we take every detail of the product really seriously. I, I think that it's the most comfortable, most reliable and then strongest as well on this like whole other dimension. So yeah, we're, we take it really seriously being, being better on all dimensions we can.
0: That's so awesome. What was the biggest challenge you faced in developing this technology?
1: Yeah, so in the early days, well, first off, I did not think I would end up in hosiery. Like that was the last possible category. This started because I am an entrepreneur at heart. I love solving problems. I love building companies.
0: You've built a couple before Sheertex, right? Yeah,
1: I built a couple before. I'd say like Sheertex is, you know, the story worth telling. Um, But not just built a couple, (laughs) you
0: built and sold a couple of companies. Yeah, a couple of companies. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, so I started my career off in the software world. I built an e-commerce platform, sold it to a company called PCH, which is a large, high-tech manufacturing company. And while I was there, I got to be surrounded by so many just brilliant people working on the hardest types of technical challenges. But I realized that so much of this brain power was going into what I call technology for technology's sake, like the connected this, the connected Mm -hmm. that. And I was like, do people really need these things? Do they actually want these things? And I became a little bit jaded. And coming out of the back of that experience, I knew that for my next company, I really wanted to focus on a problem first and then let the technology come second and sheer text was one of those things you know when you're at a dinner table and someone's like you know why do panties break and i was like yeah why do they and i pull up google and i start searching and i'm like oh wait but like that doesn't answer the question And i just like fell down this rabbit hole and started learning about polymers and knits and found myself ordering samples on alibaba and just becoming obsessed with like okay, that doesn't seem to be a good reason as to like why we haven't solved this. To me, it felt like, well, what if we just started with a stronger fiber? I totally understand that you make anything really, really, really fine and it's gonna be weak, but why don't we just start with a stronger base? and? Mm-hmm. My hypothesis was if we could go into the types of polymers and the types of fibers used in really, really high performance applications and bring those into hosiery, maybe we could solve this problem. And my first prototypes were, well, first they Totally didn't work. The fibers were completely wrong. But about six months into it, I found the polymer category that we work with today. And I got a sample, and I got a really angry note from the factory that made the sample saying that the fiber was so strong it broke all of the machines that they put it on. <laughs> they managed to hack off this tiny little piece, and they shipped it to us. And I remember like driving to meet the FedEx truck because I just couldn't wait to see this sample took it out of the package and what
0: know when you say sample is this like you had found the fiber and then you asked that factory to like knit it exactly into a, yeah into a fabric swatch or something yeah okay. I, got,
1: I found like one little sample of this fiber I sent it to a factory made that factory quite upset and then got the one sample that came off the machine and it was white it didn't stretch it was too thick um but It was so insanely strong. It became like this party trick. I would hand it out to my friends and be like, hey, try to break this. And it was a conversation starter, and it was so fascinating. And in that moment, when I was really like seeing this sample for the first time, I was like, we're going to find a way to make this stretch. We're going to find a way to color this, and we're going to find a way to make this finer, and we're going to find a way to knit it. I was just like so dead sure that we were going to figure this out and i thought it was going to take six months turns out it took two years Um, yeah you
0: just listed off like five really hard problems like it has to be finer it has to stretch it has to take dye yeah each one of those was its own problem yes okay so so (laughs) two years of problem solving
1: exactly and we shipped our uh first like final version of the product which would have been February of 2019 and we did it out of our own factory because we realized that in order to iterate as fast as we needed to iterate in order to have a manufacturer willing to deal with all of the problems we probably needed to be that manufacturer ourselves Um, and that's sort of the direction we've continued to date we do all of our own in-house manufacturing we have the largest hosiery factory in Canada but when we grew into sort of taking this space it was a huge leap of faith at the time. I knew that to get this in customers hands we needed to get it at a price that people could it and at the time it was so expensive for us to make it out of this tiny little factory and Mm -hmm. we knew that the only way to really make this work was to make the leap to larger scale manufacturing so we've raised a lot of money Um, we at the time we're closing our series a took over this factory and then grew from about 10 people to 100 people in about 60 days and taking over that factory and then kind of strapped on for the ride ever since.
0: <laughs> so this factory that you took over, yeah. is it continuing to make traditional hosiery, if you will, so that it can kind of like pay the bills while Sheertex gets up and grows? Or are you that guys might have already- That might've been a
1: smart idea. So, so
0: you guys are already at, at the scale where you have hundreds of employees manufacturing Sheertex.
1: Yeah. That so is phenomenal. O- over overnight we, grew it to the scale that we needed to operate the business basically in that 60 days. So yeah, today we're about 170 folks all wow. uh, working out of the factory, all making pantyhose.
0: <laughs> how, did you, how did you give your investors the confidence um, to, uh, let me see how to, how to ask this question. So you have an amazing concept on your hands Mm-hmm. and you have to make this leap from small-scale to large-scale, yeah. basically overnight, how how did you give your investors the confidence to go ahead and front that kind of capital to, to get a, a factory and ramp up at that level?
1: Yeah, so I I don't think anyone really did believe that we could do it. Um, in
0: Well, your investors must have believed, right?
1: Um, so I think that... It was the biggest concern. It was the okay. Like I believe in the vision. I believe in what you're trying to do. But I don't think you understand how hard it is to run a factory. I don't think you understand what it means to like get something to the next scale. Like I don't think you understand like when you say you're going to do this amount of sales. Like how are you actually going to make that? And I wouldn't say that we had particularly great answers to a lot of these questions, but I had this vision and this, in many ways, this just like blind stubbornness that we were gonna figure it out. And I think in the early days, like at that point in time, it was, you know, it wasn't growth stage capital, seed stage capital, Mm -hmm. and really it was investors investing in like, quite frankly, me and this vision and like, this like, idea that we would figure it out. And when we sort of did our larger raise, that was our first, I think the first one was about, f- well, the second one actually was about 4 million. The third one was about 10 million. By the time we were doing that $10 million raise, we had grown sales quite a bit, but we had also identified the factory that we were moving into. And I think that as people saw like, oh, they're serious. (laughs) This is actually happening. It made it easier for people to be like, okay, like this might actually be real. Um, But even at the time, I I don't think it was particularly clear. I give a lot of credit to our early investors for really just kind of believing in the vision. For believing in you. Yeah, and believing that we would figure out a way to, to make it happen and I think that in many ways, that's kind of the entrepreneur's journey. Like, there's a lot of things that, like, I think every startup has to go through where it's like, it might kind of seem possible. In fact, you know, nine out of 10 startups fail, but it's the ones that actually have the crazy vision and somehow make it real that are the ones that end up changing the world. And I think that the good thing is that is the game of venture capital. Mm -hmm. They listen to a million different crazy stories that probably shouldn't happen, but know that maybe one out of a ton of them will. And...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've heard several VCs say something to the effect of, they're always looking for a little bit of craziness (laughs) in in their entrepreneurs, right? Because it's, it's that little bit of craziness that That is the difference between an entrepreneur being like, no, this isn't doable. And an entrepreneur saying, yes, it is doable. And I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. Do do you see some of that, you know, quote unquote, a little bit of craziness in yourself?
1: Or a lot of. Um, <laughs> but I think that like as the, the company has grown, and I heard someone use this reference before, it's like the process of building a company is like a process of de-risking a business, right? Like there is this huge amount of risk, and probably this list of like a million things that like are incredibly crazy at the beginning. And as you de-risk the market, or you add executives, or you figure out manufacturing, or you figure out this other thing, like validate list, assumptions, exactly, all these things that list gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where they, the, the person that was telling me the story, they made the joke like eventually it is just this risk-free machine that like continues in the world. We know that's not really true, but that's like the dream, yeah. right? And so like, where the company is right now, like on a level of risk compared to where it was, you know, three years ago, it's just so different. And we're lucky enough to be in a place now where we're building an executive team of people mm-hmm. that have done it before. We, you know, have, you know, the cash flow to be able to project out and there's more stability and we understand the business. And um, I feel those, those feel like gifts at this mm-hmm. point in time to be able to do that. But you also like have different levels of problems with more employees and more complexity in the business. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a constant learning curve.
0: At Harman Brothers, when we're looking at companies and products, some of the things that we're, we're looking for is, one, does it solve a real problem for real people? And, you know, of course we see, I don't know, probably a hundred companies per month, you know, are, are, mm-hmm. are reaching out and looking for our help. And not always is that question, you know, easily answerable. Sometimes I'm seeing these and I'm like, yeah. Is that a real problem for real people I'm not quite so sure but in your case it was like instant yes that solves a real problem for real people and and so once we kind of identify that then we start to look for things like have they have they developed super fans are there fans who are just you know almost raving fanatics about the product because they're so passionate about it you guys have that and we look at the team we say, okay, is this a team that we, that we believe in? Is this a team that we really feel like can take this from, you know, almost obscurity where, you know, people don't know about it. People haven't heard of it to, is this the team that can take it and turn it into a household name that people know and remember and recognize? And so when we feel like all of those boxes get checked, then we're like, that is the perfect opportunity for us to combine our storytelling capabilities with the amazing capabilities that that um, you as an entrepreneur and your team and uh, you know bring to the table and and we feel like that's the perfect opportunity to make magic and tell that story to the world and let millions and millions of people know about it so we just feel so privileged and excited To get to help you guys tell your story
1: yeah well and i think it's it's the feeling is so mutual we've been basically stalking you guys for the last i don't know three or four years we knew your work we the second i went down the path of starting sheer text it just felt so clear to me that this was a visual story like there was a way to tell this visually that was so much more impactful than you know anything i could say on a podcast mm-hmm. um and we really had fallen in love with the stories that harman had told and the visual worlds that you create and in the early days maybe we didn't have you know those raving fans yet or that ability to scale right like mm-hmm. how would we have even out of our two thousand square foot factory been able to ship to millions of people around the world but now you know i'm just so excited that we're at the phase where you know those those stars align and we can work together
0: yeah it's super exciting so right now we're we're dead in the middle of the the creative process we're here in park city at a at a writing retreat going through the incredibly hard work of of figuring out how do we message this, how do we, you know, capture a concept that that reaches the masses and connects with people. It's a super fun place to be, tons of hard work, but this is also like, it's so fun to just feel all of the optimism and excitement around like, where do we get to take this and where do we get to go with this? So for our listeners, stay tuned.
1: Yes, I am so, so excited and in the early days, I was like doing all of our script writing and making all our videos. And Now to have a team of people that are so skilled in their craft, being able to work on it and see those visions come reality, I, I couldn't be more excited.
0: It's awesome. Yeah. All right, Catherine, let's wrap up. I want to hear what piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So we're, we're, what? we're about two thirds of the way through 2021 at the time of this recording. We're coming into you know, go time for entrepreneurs. This is, we're coming into Q3, Q4, you know, where for so many entrepreneurs, it's like make or break. What piece of advice do you have for our listeners going into Q4 of 2021?
1: Yeah, I, I think that one thing that I've really been starting to understand is like, I've lived so, so much as an entrepreneur in like, the moment, like the today version of what do we have to do for the business. Mm-hmm. And I think in the early stage, that is so, so important. But I think what I maybe lost sight of was how do I make sure that I'm actually dividing our resources in a way that we're you know, also one step ahead. Um, so as easy as it is to get distracted by September, how do you make sure that whether it's your brain power or part of your team's brain power is already three months ahead. Or you know, if you could actually get 6, 12, 18, 24 mm-hmm. months ahead. And like that's really the challenge I'm trying to go through is how do I put myself 24 months ahead and make sure that what's happening in the company today is what we need to get there. So I think my advice would be it's so easy to get pulled into the quicksands. And as the CEO, like really give yourself that time and those moments and give your your team those moments where they can get their heads out of the sand. Where are we going? How is this going to work? And make sure that what we're working on today is going to get us there.
0: Oh my gosh, I cannot echo that enough. (laughs) I think the probably one of the most important developments in my own development as a CEO has been exactly that, in learning how to step out of the day-to-day and step out of the minutia, the emails, the texts, the Slack messages, all of that stuff, step out of it and give myself time to just think about the big picture yeah. and, you know, step up to that 30,000 foot view and, and, you know, look out over the horizon and think long-term, think big yeah. picture. Uh, that, that's game changer. Uh, so I, I love that advice. Thank you.
1: Well, it's probably advice for myself as well.
0: <laughs> it, it, that's, that's the way this game works. Yeah. You know, we're we're always, it's a game of constant improvement. And anytime somebody thinks that they've arrived, that's probably the minute that they become stale. Yeah. <laughs> How can our listeners stay in touch with you, Catherine?
1: Well, head to sheertext.com to follow the journey. And they can also find us on Instagram at ShearText or I'm just at Catherine Hometh.
0: And sheertext is spelled sheer, S H E E R, text, T E X. Dot yeah com. exactly okay thanks for coming on the show it's such a pleasure to to get to know you better and get to hear about your story
1: awesome thank you for having me
0: and for our listeners if you like what you've heard make sure to check out harmanbrothers.com follow us here on the podcast poop to gold subscribe like share all that good stuff we'll see you on the next one
2: want to learn the tricks of our trade we have them all laid out in our courses on Harman Brothers University. This isn't surface level stuff here. This is our entire playbook. All our secrets laid out in full. The same training we give our own employees. You'll find courses on ad buying, writing video scripts to sell your product or service, creating the kind of large production ads we're known for, even making short ads using nothing but your cell phone. If you're looking to use video marketing to take your business to the next level, Harman Brothers University has the course for you. Our students have seen incredible growth in their businesses by implementing what they learned in our courses. Take these reviews as living proof. We've now got multiple campaigns that are in the millions of views and in the multiple millions of dollars in sales. Within a week, we're close to 10 million views, over a million in sales, And most impressively, we've covered 100% of the production costs in the first 24 hours of releasing it. We saw immediate results. Sales went up 10x the first day. The first video we did is over 30 million views. The most customers that we've ever acquired in a single month. I think we had about 26,000 new customers. Go to harmanbrothersuniversity.com to start accelerating your business's growth with video.